Welcome back to another episode of Reversing Course, the golf course restoration at Wakanda Club. I'm Rianne Kinney. I'm the general manager here at Wakanda. I have here with me today our golf course superintendent, Dane Wilson, and our director of golf, Aaron Kruger. Gentlemen, Good morning. Welcome. Good morning again. Good morning. We have another week under our belts here. A lot happened this week at the club and a bit of a heat wave. We are under another heat dome, as they say. Uh, which they say it's stronger in Iowa because of all the corn. Did you know that? Uh, did not know that. Yeah. The so humidity it puts off and the moisture that's in the corn. more humidity, yeah. more heat. So now you know. Yeah. Welcome to Iowa, I got, Dane. Yeah, full experience on it's, that. They're vegetables. <laughs> they're, yeah. It's but really... Going back to the vegetables. Yeah. Reversing course back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. So with this heat dome... It's created some challenges for us out there on the course. Do you want to take us through some of that? Yeah, the biggest thing I think is, you know, when we lay all this out and we think about weather delays, I mean, you always consider that to be rain. But to some degree, I mean, while we made headway this week, there were some things that we had to put off, meaning, um, you know, we talked late last week, early on this week, that I, I just did not want to bring any sod in this week just knowing that that'd just be impossible to keep up with. Right. And so that allowed us to just shift resources towards, you know, working on the side that we do have. But um, <clears throat> outside of that, I mean, it obviously puts a lot of stress on the employees that are out there, um, the machines that typically run hot anyways when you're in that type of environment. And then... Um, like I said, I mean, even, even the grass, I mean, this, this type of grass isn't necessarily used to that, even on a normal condition, but you add in new seedlings and every, all of our inputs that we have to, you know, provide those plants and just creates just this Petri dish, if you will. I mean, but to some degree, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, with that high heat, high humidity, I mean, it's great to get germination out of the seeds that you put down but on the back end of that you know <clears throat> the the new turf that's coming up I mean you're extremely susceptible to disease so what have we noticed with that then have, have we noticed disease uh, popping up in some of those newly seeded fairways yeah we had a, had a fair amount of pythium pop up but I mean all relatively i mean is probably less than what i would have expected you know given those conditions right but at the same time i mean you never want to see it and you know you go out there and scout in the mornings and you immediately treat it um wherever you see it and we did have some efficacy with the products that we sprayed and then you know throughout the week we were trying to remove some of the straw mat that we had on some germinated areas and you know you don't see it at first but once you remove that mat you realize know how much is underneath that so made another application to some of those areas and um you just move forward right and so you, and you've changed kind of the approach that you've taken to some of the seeding as we've as we've gone and as we've started seeding more areas in reacting to that right i mean you're using straw mat you're not using your straw mat in areas you're hydro mulching you're not hydro you know finding those different ways that are going to be most effective? Yeah, and, and it's really on a case-by-case -case basis because, you know, in some areas the straw mat makes sense, in some areas it doesn't. And so 
there is a variety of that throughout. And some of it really also depends on our access to get into some of these areas. You know, um, like number four there in that valley, I mean, with three already being seeded, um, one, you know, just really that whole side is just difficult just because, you know, taking that, our truck with the hydro mulch, you think about 1,200 gallons sitting in that, um, it's really hard to get in and out of those areas. Sure. So sometimes it's, it's more feasible to just roll the straw mat down and then, um, <clears throat> and then just have to take it back up as opposed to, you know, trying to maneuver this truck around all these areas. And wind as well is usually nice to have some air movement um, yeah. to a certain extent, which we, we, it seems as though we, when we get wind, it's really, really strong wind, which isn't as good uh, when we're trying to seed. But um, it seems like we just haven't had a lot of air movement either, which has made it probably even more disease prone. Well, yeah, especially in the mornings and then, you know, and then as the day goes on, even that Wednesday, Thursday, we had a decent amount of wind or enough to where, you know, our, our sprinkler heads and their coverage, you know, is a little more difficult to hmm. hit certain areas that we needed to and or you get one area wet, the other one stays dry. And so... Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. I think you mentioned specifically on the tees, we had are seeing... Yeah, so some yeah. of the T's just based on, you know, we have that triple row in the fairways, but as you extend towards the T's, we have more so of a double row. Um, <clears throat> and then outside of that, you know, we maybe have some heads that hit coverage, but not, you know, 100%, but they are covering the area in uh, perfect conditions. But, um, you know, our philosophy for trying to grow in these greens is um, we actually go manually flag on the heads. Um until we get germination. And so we have great coverage on 17 and two for that reason, because when you get these certain winds, you might only just run two heads on say the left side of a green if the wind's pushing everything that way or um, you know, right side, whatever it is. But whereas the T's, you know, we're not gonna spend that time to go manually run heads. And so um, you try to run the program as best you can and then you know, in between cycles, you think about what the wind direction is and you think about which head is going to hit which tee the best. And then you just pop that head on. So there, <clears throat> there are certain things that you can do to, you know, help that along. But um, it, it's a meticulous process and you have to have your eyes on it. And then depending on what we've got going on that day, sometimes we do have the ability to, you know, focus our attention on some of that and then inevitably sometimes we don't have the ability. So you almost have to run the stuff and trust that you're getting where you need to on the tees or fairways, you know, things of that nature. What <coughs> were our temperatures over the last, I don't know, five, six days? Um, Monday was a little bit cooler, meaning 94. Um, Tuesday, I think we crept up towards 98. And then Wednesday, Thursday, we reached up to uh, 104 and 105, heat index of 128. Mm. And so, um, you know, we try to start our crew earlier that day on, you know, well, this whole week we have try to get them out at a decent time and then really just focus on tasks that aren't as strenuous, you know, get them hoses in their hands, just hitting sod and things that, you know, you know, that way they can spray themselves down too. You know, that <laughs> helps. But <clears throat> even, even myself, I know I've told you guys, but 
heat and humidity don't bother me. But there was a point on Wednesday where I just couldn't, I couldn't function, it seemed like. So I had to go into the office for 20 minutes in between watering cycles and then head back out. And <clears throat> I intentionally just put myself under the sprinklers just to <laughs> cool down for Good a minute. For you. you guys got to take care of yourselves. Yeah. It gets scary out there and um, make sure that you're taking care of yourselves, which I know you are. But Well, yeah. I mean, I, I probably push it, you know, myself, I guess, a little more and don't pay attention. But I do try to put a premium on our guys and just at least talk to them in the morning. You know, make sure to drink water. If you do feel, you know, or if you don't feel good, I don't care what you're doing out there. Just get to the shop, mm -hmm. get in the air conditioning, hang out for a bit, Yeah. you know. And all of that, you know, slows movement too. I mean, it, it slows the progress on the course. We want to make sure that our staff isn't out there. You know, they're moving slower. It's it all impacts everything that we're doing too. Yeah. We had some impacts in the in the clubhouse as well this week due to the heat. We had our um, air conditioner went out. Our um, our phones and internet went out. Our ice cream machine stopped working. <laughs> Seems as though everything kind of was impacted by the heat this week as well. So that's a, a shout out to our maintenance director, uh, Corey Benton, who keeps everything running in here in the clubhouse. He's a one-man show, and um, he's been challenged this week as well with the heat dome. So um, everyone's working hard. So appreciate that. Shout out to our whole crew. Uh, so this week we also experienced some challenges, the week of challenges. We also experienced some challenges with our irrigation system. Uh, you want to run us through some of those? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily something this week. It's something that we've just been chasing. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, well, the way that these heads work is basically there's a solenoid on the outside of it that sends a signal, releases a plunger, and that's what allows the water to come up. Um, a lot of what we find, um, it could be in the, you know, we, we, first of all, we test everything multiple times before we even go seed anything because we want to know that everything's working. We want to know that our adjustments on part circles are where they need to be. Um, and to some degree, it's disheartening when you get into that situation. And like I said, ideally, you want somebody dedicated to strictly watching water, but there are some days where we're so busy, either seeding or sodding or whatever it is that might not see it and we've had a few instances you know on a couple holes now where um, you look over and there's an area that seems dry and you go over there and you realize that it's not popping and it's either the solenoid or the decoder um, we found quite a few of those issues my s assistant Tyler and I we spent uh, not this weekend but the past weekend just chasing some of that and I think we fixed 11 heads over the weekend just to keep going and those that we couldn't repair ourselves we just had to try to go out there and flag them on as much as possible but uh, and then as of yesterday one of our satellite boxes I mean it'll receive a signal so I can run manual irrigation which really isn't ideal but um, you know at least we can run something but at the same time if I set up a program it's not you know connecting so we've talked to some of our reps and um, God bless him he's gonna drive from Indiana to here this morning just to help us fix it and move forward. Are we confident that we're able to get these things fixed? Are you? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we. I mean, we've identified this as an issue, and so we're we're kind of ensuring that as we go into install, we're just double, triple checking all the components of the head before it goes into the ground. And then, in terms of the satellite, um, we're we're still in the process of di diagnosing that. 
So hopefully today we'll get some answers. Do they send an extra supply of heads beyond what we've ordered just in case there are issues coming out of the box? Yeah. Or, we or have, those stuff that need to be ordered? No, we haven't, uh, you know, to some degree, we have our contingency of heads. But if we do have a head that's not running, it doesn't necessarily go against our count. And so we do have a supply, whether it be parts for the heads or mm-hmm. the heads themselves, that we can uh, swap out. So uh, you talked a little bit about 17 and 2. Uh, we, those are two of the greens that we seeded, and they're looking great. I got to go take a look at them yesterday. They're popping good. You've been mowing them I haven't already? mowed yet. Uh, on number 2, we rolled it. You rolled um, it. Just with the temperatures this week, it didn't sure. seem right to try to mow anything. But um, this weekend, our focus is obviously to get uh, 18 tees seeded, as well as the rough, five fairway, and then outside of that, with these cooler temperatures, you know, we're going to mow our faces off this weekend. <laughs> cooler meaning 90s. Uh, yeah, or 85 today, 80 tomorrow. That is cooler. That's why you're wearing a sweatshirt. Too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it was 69 outside this morning. <laughs> I just... I felt like I needed something. That's the air conditioner is working again. The air conditioner <laughs> is working in here. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks, Dan, for that update. Um, thank you for continuing to work through those challenges. Absolutely. And for you know keeping your head up and, and keeping the crew going and keeping everybody safe out there in this heat. So mm-hmm. thank you for everything. Uh, we had a few questions come in uh, this week, and we'll take those at the beginning of this uh, podcast as well. Um, we had some people reach out with questions after the last episode and Mm -hmm. so thank you for that and so we'll run through some of those so we had a question on the bank on 16 so we ended up moving some of the dirt from the pond that's between 18 tees and 16 green we moved the dirt from one side and basically put it onto the other side what that created to create the tees for 18 which that whole tea complex looks spectacular right thing to do we've talked about that before on here and so really excited to see that coming together it just it just looks great the cart path is in there now we don't have the funky turnaround and anymore and go you know crisscrossing back and forth and all the things so looking great but what it's done is left a bank along 16 where there's that beautiful new l-shaped bunker behind 16 and now it just banks off into the water and we had a question about the possible erosion on that bank along there uh, that we just moved water or moved the dirt and left it kind of exposed now that water does run through the the weir up further upstream and kind of running along there so we had a question about what we're doing for erosion there and i know we're working with an engineer uh, on those waterways to make sure that we're all doing everything that we should be there but maybe you could walk us through what our what we're doing to avoid the erosion off of that new bank that we've created on 16. yeah one of two things i mean um I think uh, when you guys took your tour, obviously we weren't done with that yet, and so that that bank looked a lot sharper than it was, and so we smoothed that out, uh, softened the grade of it, but then we also installed this. Um, it's it's an erosion fabric, but it's almost like a fake coconut fiber, and so that fabric is about two inches thick, and we ran that from on the 
west side of the pond all the way from the weir to the bridge and then we ran it another 150 feet from the bridge out till it turns so any impact from water running through there um, this fabric will you know absorb that outside of that we actually planted uh, native grasses in there so fescues um, fine and hard and so those have a deeper rooted um, or deeper root system which will actually then stabilize the soil more okay so no rocks being put in there no. nothing the, like only, the only place that we put rocks in was around uh, we had to extend the two 12 inch drain pipes that were originally in that cove so we extended those pipes out of the pond added rocks around those just to help there mm-hmm. uh that whole area like i said it just looks great now mm-hmm. they have the 17 t's that have been done uh and are getting seeded soon yep. as well it looks amazing. I'm so excited to see that coming together. Um, okay, so next question we had was about our flagpole. Our flagpole came down during some of, during the construction on purpose. On purpose yes. <laughs> during some of the construction, and so I've had the question oddly a lot of times of if we're putting the flagpole back up. Yeah. Um, so we had taken the flagpole out um, just because we needed to do some shaping around the green and just to create that. Uh, approach off the back so we removed that just left it off to the side and then um, our equipment manager Troy we actually just put it back in the other day but what we had done especially now with that bunker you know if you're out below that bunker it's somewhat of a blind shot into the green and And this is on 18 on 18 yeah Yeah. so where that flagpole was orientated before was actually kind of on the left edge of the green so we actually shifted so you didn't that. want to aim for it. Right. So right. didn't want to aim for that. So what we tried to do was uh, Troy went out into the fairway and held up a, our 12-foot flag stick from um, number four. Hmm. And so we figured out where the center of the green was from the line of play below the bunker. And we actually installed the post there. That's awesome. Um, so eventually that flag pole goes back up. We already have the base in the ground. We already have the stand there. We just need to throw the flag pole back in, which okay. we'll do in time. We'll have a lot of happy people knowing that our flag is going back in. That's so. right. Good. And, that, and thank you for changing that placement. That oh, sounds yeah. great. And eventually, we'd like to get a bigger flag pole. Yeah. So that's, that's on the goals list. Okay. Uh, the fencing. So I have had a lot of questions about, we had our fence along floor was replaced in 2019. Um, when we did, uh, when we had the city installed a, a sidewalk along mm-hmm. floor and then we put a fence in a new nice black, uh, iron looking fence. Um, I've had a lot of questions from people if we are going to be installing that fencing around the rest of the property and the question or the answer on that is no we're not plan at this point not planning to install any other new fencing around the property um we are however planting a lot of trees and other uh bushes shrubs and things around the property for to add that screening around the property so i've had that question as well so i wanted to to answer that so no we are not replacing any other fencing around the property at this time no but per that i mean along starting at the driving range or right around where our new pump station is or eight green we're actually coming there and going down waltress and down 14th we're planting 65 uh understory trees so just a variation of um you know it's outside the fence so i'm not overly concerned about it but um 
maple trees, uh, magnolia trees, fire trees, <coughs> just a lot of trees that'll provide that screening. Okay. And when we, do those go in? What's ideal, ideal time range? Ideally, we'd like to do it this fall, so mm -hmm. end of October, early okay. November. And we also did install unrelated, uh, but related to fencing, we installed all new fencing around our tennis facility as well with some of these improvements that are happening, which are, as a side note as well, our tennis facilities are coming along really well. Uh, hope to have those finished next this next week, early next week, actually, Great. and all the paint finished on those new hard courts and pickleball courts. So that's exciting, too. Uh, cart paths. So I had another follow-up question. We had a question about cart paths last week mm -hmm. and I had a follow-up question on that on cart path material we see around different courses where they're using a crushed gravel um, we saw uh, Aaron and I were able to golf at Beverly this week and saw that they were using kind of a rubber composite on some of their cart paths maybe run us through what the different cart path materials are and why we chose to stick with concrete as opposed to going with another material mm, i think the what well, the biggest thing i think is i mean we have concrete existing and so you know rather than have a variation of different things i mean you just stay consistent i mean a lot of what i believe in whether it's just agronomics or anything in general is consistency and so you know, as opposed to having some concrete, some composite, some crushed grain, and you know, you just you have just the concrete all over. And so, but at the same time, it's our goal to where we do have these paths, and if we are installing new paths, we're trying to hide them as much as possible from view. But I, I don't have a lot of experience with the composite, but I do with the crushed granite. And what I can say for that is, um, even on a flat property, that it. You know, it's such a, you wouldn't think that it is, but there's a lot of maintenance to that. And then also the contamination of, you know, getting outside of its mm -hmm. intended area, and then you get thin areas on the edges mm -hmm. of your car path more so than you would with anything else. But then <clears throat> you get a rainstorm, and I mean, you get washouts. I mean, it's, it's brutal. And really, the nature of this property just like anything i mean it'd be almost impossible to maintain mm -hmm. crushed granite mm -hmm. car paths well thinking ahead you also have our car paths as main service roads and access roads for principal charity classic right. construction and those would not hold up to the weight of those forklifts and no. grandstands no i wouldn't even think the composite would yeah right because because everything that we are putting in is reinforced and so mm -hmm. it's meant to withstand you know high impact Right. which we deal with, you know, at minimum once a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have one area where we're using a different cart path, though. Do you want to tell us about yeah. that? Uh, yeah, it's it's not necessarily a cart path, I guess, but it's just a, um, we'll call it compaction control. So <clears throat> along the uh, north side of the property, five green, you know, we the right side of that green, you know, we always diverted carts through there, and it, it just probably one of the worst turfed areas on the golf course just due to that traffic but mm -hmm. so we wanted to move that flow to the north side of that hole but at the same time we did not want to put in concrete right next to the homeowners mm -hmm. you know for a number of reasons whether ball bounces off it and hits there just even the aesthetics from if they're sitting on their back porch just having something like that so <clears throat> in lieu of that there's a uh, there's a product called track mats 
that we're going to install on the left side of five. And so what that is is basically, effectively, it's like a rubber grid. And so whenever we install our sod, you know, and we have it established, we kind of inch it down to either an inch or inch and a half. And then we lay this rubber matting over th over top, and then eventually from that point you just let it grow. Um, and then you, you don't see it ever. It's almost unseen. Yeah, right? but effectively what it does is, you know, it takes the impact off of the the surface, the soil surface, one, but also the crown of the plant, and so it should withstand the traffic. Hmm. So grass can continue to grow there even though it'll have heavy traffic. Heavy traffic, yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, we had a question about any additional tree removal and tree cleanup, specifically on the left side of four. Uh, there's some trees there that kind of really visibly uh, jut out into the fairway, kind of. Um, and then other trees that you know, have suckers growing up and down them, and, and what's our plans for cleaning those up and limbing up some of the remaining trees? Yeah, I mean, obviously first phase was what you know we've been in for a number of years, but first phase is to just identify all the trees that are necessary to create these corridors for us playing. And then once we get past that, we just get this place grown in. And then as one of two things, as things evolve, or you know we build these features and then it becomes apparent that you need to open up more vistas or you know something detracts away from you know the playability or the aesthetics then we just evaluate that as we move forward and then <clears throat> once we get through all that and that's still kind of phase one and we're happy about everything that we've got phase two then is just focus on getting things cleaned up you know lifting up canopies of some of the pin oaks like you know, the suckers are one thing, um, but I kind of look at all the pin oaks between 15 and 16, um, even over on 12 and 13, whatever's left, just mm -hmm. that's, that's more phase two where, you know, ultimately to some degree with the exception of health trees, we're, we're pretty much done with tree removal. Um, and then you focus on just kind of getting things cleaned up. Specifically on four though, we do have just a few small ones still coming up. Yeah. So that's kind of become apparent that need to come out there. So, um, and, and that'll be great once we get, once we start that phase two of cleaning the trees up and cl cleaning up the canopy, like you said, I think it's really going to pop as well. And having those trees stand out and be star attractions, yeah. the ones that we've chosen to stay. Well, that, and you can still create those vistas without actually having right. to remove the tree. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did have a question about membership levels, uh, wanting to know where we are currently or, or as far as attrition or anything this fall. Um, and I'm happy to say that we really haven't seen, normally we would see some attrition in the starting at this time uh, with the pool kind of uh, closing during the week with the school, st school schedule starting and junior programming kind of being done for the year and uh, really haven't seen any attrition uh, this year so really happy to to report that and really all we've seen is is new members at this point um, we do have new members coming in and especially in that um, national membership category that we've opened up and so that's a uh, that's been really positive to see and positive momentum there so wanted to answer that question so at that this time we are currently uh, up on membership um, from where we had budgeted to be for this year and um, up 
month over month. So that's a positive direction there. And you're seeing a lot of inquiries. A lot of inquiries. That's great. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, a lot of inquiries coming in, mostly golf uh, inquiries coming in right now. So very exciting. It's definitely words getting out and, and we're happy to talk about it. And Thank you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it, your your work is uh, is showing. It's getting showing noticed. Hand, so yeah. Um, well, and we just wanted to talk a little bit now about uh, Aaron and I had the privilege of uh, joining our board for a board retreat this past week. Mm-hmm. We were able to play Lusonia, uh, Skokie, and Beverly. And we had a wonderful time and thank our board for for going on this trip and for being open to going out and scouting out these other courses. Obviously, we've talked about Lasonia a lot on here, and we really felt it was important that they were able to see it and experience for themselves and see kind of that glowing example of a Langford and a a great specimen that they can see and really understand what it is that we're doing here. It kind of helps those light bulbs go off, I think. Um, and then Skokie and Beverly, of course, Skokie is part Lingford and uh, our golf course architect, Tyler Ray, was a part of the team that did some work on Skokie and he also um, uh, did work on Beverly as well. And that's not a Langford course, that's a Donald Ross course, but he did work on there. And we really wanted to see that because of the greens. Mm -hmm. The greens that they have there at Beverly are, well, there's a combination of push-up and Yoshia greens. But the push-up greens that they kept, they did the same treatment that we're doing as far as green expansions and adding the drainage. So we really wanted to see an example of that two, three years after they came out of it and how those are performing. So just wanted to go over that trip just a little bit with you, Aaron, and some of your observations that you saw, some of the similarities and differences, any thoughts and ideas that we came away with from that trip. Yeah, no, it was a great trip. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be along with it and the uh, board taking time to go see that. We we put the trip together very intentionally, as you said, to to see these different golf courses. And um, and I want to thank, before we get started in, in what we saw, Josh Carroll at Lasonia, Gideon Traub at Skokie, John Varner at Beverly. And then we have uh, two national members, Jeff Webb and Jake Billmeyer, um, longtime members of Wakanda Club who, who live in Chicago and they're members at Beverly. And they played with us this week, and I want to thank all of them for allowing us to come see their golf courses, play it, and experience their clubs. Um, yeah, I think I think going to see these Golden Age courses that have been restored and, and brought back some of the architecture that was there really helped me last summer, and then again this, this past week, really understand what we're going after. Um, it, it's amazing when you actually sit and look at these golf holes and, and try and compare them to Wakanda Club, what these little features do to you, either visually um, as you play the golf hole or uh, direct you to or away from. And it was really neat to see, especially like Skokie, who who has an incredible storied history. They hosted the U.S. Open in 1922, and, um, and they have nine Donald Ross holes, one Tom Bendelo hole, and eight William Langford holes. And they're different. Mm-hmm. You can see a difference yes. in the style. Brian Schneider did an, uh, did a bunker restoration just last fall and, and really emphasized the difference in those architects. 
but you can tell those Langford holes, uh, green complexes and the way the greens are built versus Donald Ross. And, and that was a really cool experience to see. I saw more Langford characteristics there um, than, than I did at Beverly, but, but still you get to see um, how those holes play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that, that stood out, kind of some, some similarities as you asked, um, those three golf courses have very deep but architecturally correct and consistent bunkers, and that's what we're going for. We, we did not have those. We had flashed up faces that were rebuilt in the 80s and 90s and, and maybe even early 2000s that, that more mimicked Augusta National and, and some of those uh, of that era that instead of, of the Golden Age era, and we kind of lost our way, and not, not many bunkers looked very consistent out here. And, and so that's one thing I'm really looking forward to. Just it's amazing how that simple thing of making them look consistent makes them play more consistent. Yeah, I would say when after I first visited Lasonia, that mm-hmm. was this was probably my sort of fourth trip to Lasonia, and after the first time I visited and I came back to Wakanda, that was the thing that jarred yeah, me the yeah. most. Were, were our bunkers mm-hmm. <sighs> looked so silly mm-hmm. almost to me? I, they looked so out of place. You could see where they should be right. and how those faces should be, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. And it was like somebody just cut right through those beautiful grass faces that were supposed to be there. And and I, when I first came back from Lasonia, I went, "Oh my goodness!" I was I was it just looked silly. It was almost embarrassed of yeah. you know what what was done here and how jarring. Yeah. That was. Yeah. I agree. And not to mention playability of them and, yeah. you know, everything else. Yeah. Lasonia has much more rolling topography. Their back nine's a little bit more flat, but it has some hills. Uh, Skokie and Beverly, like most of Chicagoland, is very flat. Beverly has one large hill, almost 40 feet in, in stature in the front nine. Um, but but our topography is much more different. Where, where the architects in Chicagoland and, and of the day of flatter golf courses created visual deception was through those bunkers and either creating large mounds over top of the bunker like we have uh, that Langford built or Ross would build but also where they placed them there were several greens that had four bunkers 30 40 yards out in front of the green that looked like they were pinched right in the front edge of the green and and it created a very visual deception uh, as you played it and when you got past it it was mind-blowing to see oh my gosh you've got 30, 40 yards of, of space here that you didn't think you had. 16 on Skokie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't begin to say. I And, and that is what also mm-hmm. makes you go, that's why those bunkers are mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And and ours were abandoned. Mm-hmm. Ours had long been abandoned and said, well, they're not necessary mm-hmm. because you're not going to hit them. You, those are, they're too close. You're not going to yeah. hit them. The visual deception that that yeah. provides... I thought I was in a, a 3D book or something when I drove past <laughs> yeah, them yeah. and I went, wait, yeah. those aren't right on the green? Right. It, it was, it's crazy, but it truly trips your mind when it, you're on the tee. It does. And it does serve a purpose. A- absolutely. And we're, we're having some of those in here. I think, you know, 16 or they're set back far enough, you'll know that they're not there, but they're going to look like they're in 10, 9 even with a four bunker. Um and and I'm probably forgetting many more, but with our topography, we fifteen behind 15, the green. Yeah, okay. I even think, like as I saw thirteen, the bunkers in the fairway yeah. are going to be a little visually yeah. deceptive. Um, six, mm-hmm. you have those front two 
uh, that will be a little visually deceptive in the fairway, even, mm-hmm. so, you know, fairway bunkers out there. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's just a, an unbelievable architecture feature that's over 100 years old, but, but still very relevant today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just more so important on a flatter golf hole mm-hmm. um, and topography. Um, we saw a mix of great short, medium, and long holes on the fours, on the threes, fours, and fives. They really did a nice job of separating yardages, where where I think that's something we were very intentional in, making sure our par threes played very different yardages. Our par four, our par fives are blessed to have um, four different directions that they play here: a north, a south, an east, and a west. Uh, our par threes are three similar directions they play to the east or to the west. Um, and then nine comes back towards the east. So um, you had to separate those distance-wise, and I, I think we're doing a great job of that. We've got some short par fours. We've got some long par fours, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I saw that at, at all these golf courses as well. Uh, Lasonia is is much more like us. Obviously, we're, we're both Langfords, but um, they've got deep bunkers, um, greenside, but on one side. Mm. And that makes the golf hole very accessible from the proper mm-hmm. angle whereas um Lasonia or I'm sorry Skokie and Beverly specifically the Ross course uh, the Ross holes on Skokie I think had more less ability to run the golf ball up and they were a little bit more aerial there were some some fronted some front pins or some front bunkers or both sides of the bunkers were flanked or the greens were flanked by bunkers mm-hmm. and so angles may be a little bit less rewarded in that situation um they did have a lot of back roll-offs um that that short game area or or approach area we're putting a lot of those in tying into some of the next tees like six into seven and and seven into eight i'm really excited for just gives a lot of short game variety there Mm -hmm. um you know and, and all all three golf courses have maintained their trees that that's just evident it's amazing the the website golfclubatlas.com is a fantastic golf course resource and in looking at some of the features, they they provide some before and after photos of Beverly and Skokie, and um, some old old photos of Lasonia that you don't get the they don't have, they haven't done a new feature on, but you can see over the years how they've maintained their trees, and that's something I think that we've really done very well in planting our trees, mm-hmm. um, and leaving the right trees, taking out the wrong trees. Um, how about you? What what are some of your takeaways? Well, I. You know, I'm glad that we have committed to a good set and variety of tees here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, these the courses that we play are amazing. Um, but I mean, Aaron, you played with me. I I need a forward set of tees. <laughs> a- absolutely. And um, you know, Beverly's really hard, and Skokie's really hard, and I am I and I, they're amazing courses. But I am so glad that we are committing to making this playable for all levels. <laughs> And that we've thought it through and that these forward tees will not be an afterthought. And Mm -hmm. I think one of my uh, biggest pet peeves when I go to a course is when my tee is uh, mowed out into the fairway. Because, oh, we have, oops, we we better put a forward tee here. Oh, we we added forward tees. Well, I mean, okay. Um, That's not enjoyable. That might be better than no forward tees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's not enjoyable. It's mm-hmm. it, it's not strategic. It still needs to be strategic. Yeah. They, you know, sometimes yeah. 
it's interesting for all players to play those forward tees and, and add a different strategy to the mm-hmm. course. And and to put them in a place that doesn't make sense or puts you right in front of a hill, uh, which happened at mm-hmm. these courses, um, there's no strategy involved there. And it doesn't make the course enjoyable. Yeah. And so I am glad that we're taking that step and having six sets of tees mm-hmm. on every hole. Possibly more with combos, maybe. Uh, right, as we look at those combo yeah. options. And so, you know, for me, I, Beverly, it was 5,900 and I... <laughs> yeah. That's that's long for me. I can't do that, yeah. and and I'm so glad. And I think that they're looking at uh, adding a forward set yes, or something. They are. Yep. Um, but I'm so glad that we're doing it with this project. Like I said, so that they're purposeful, so that they make sense, so that they too have strategy and and have a, a fun fun game. I think Lasonia does a, a great job of that. I love their forward tees. They're um, inconspicuous mm-hmm. <laughs> some I missed <laughs> uh, you can drive by and go oh that's my tea over there um, yeah set on the back of bunkers and things like that and I think we have some of those mm-hmm. things happening here as well that's cool that mm-hmm. it feels special and um, you want to make sure that every level feels like their course is special too and um, I'm excited about that so that yeah, was one thing that's great I, on on my end, I notice other things as far as club operation things, of course, when I go to other clubs and I took a whole set of notes uh, for, the, for the clubhouse operations, but on the golf course, uh, really want to look into water bottle filling yes. stations yes, absolutely. on the course. We did see that at Skokie and that's something that I want to look into rather than our jugs that are grounds crew fills and and puts out every day i would love to and you know disposable cups and and the whole thing i would love to look into installing water fountain slash water bottle refilling stations on the course so that is something that i am going to work with dane on on looking into um you know and then like i said other things that i saw in the clubhouses and at their halfway houses and things like that that i'm i'm taking back with me but we we don't need to go through all of that yeah. on here but and that's what's what i love about going to other clubs other courses you you get to see you get to talk to the golf professional and and pick up on some things i i've never had an original idea in my life everything's been researched and duplicated and and I love I love doing that as well. Yeah, I'm sure the team will love it. They love when I come back from <laughs> from a trip like that. Yeah. I'm full of ideas. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for for going over that with us, and um, thank you for uh, coming with us on the mm-hmm. on the retreat as well. Again, a huge thanks to these courses for hosting us, and to their pros and their GMs as well for helping us out. We had a lovely dinner at Skokie as well, mm-hmm. and so thank you to to them and to our board for being open to that as well um, and making that happen. So we are headed into another week. We are heading into cooler temperatures yes with our sweatshirts yes and it's going to be a productive week we have a lot of seating to do we have a lot of buttoning up to do and it's going to be a good week pivotal mm-hmm. it is it's a pivotal time in the project yep. i can feel you can feel it you can see it and it's exciting to see us taking that corner so on to the next week yep. thank you